It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day welcome in to another edition of the locked on pacers podcast where we of course talk about the indiana pacers as always my name's tony east i cover the team for forbes and the west side community news and today we are talking pacers kings one of the story most story filled games of this Pacers season, regardless of the team's crappy record. What happened? What the stories were? Why the Pacers ultimately lost the game? And at the end, I just wrote an article about the Pacers' drives and how they're not handling them particularly well. And I'll expand on that a little bit more as they get through their final nine games of the season. But the big story, of course, is this game. Third straight podcast talking about all the players involved in this trade and leading up to this game, specifically because. This was one of the biggest games left of the Pacers season, both because of the stories involved and because of the inverse standings. Pacers fall to the Kings 110-109, probably, given where the Pacers are in the standings, the best-case scenario. But I'll get to the actual game itself in a moment. I really want to talk about all the stories and interesting stuff that happened in this game. And yes, without Sabonis playing, it was a little bit... Oh, uh, anticlimactic but this was Justin Holiday and Jeremy Lamb's first time playing against the Pacers since they signed with the team back in 2019 it was Tyrese Halberton's first game ever against the Sacramento Kings it was Buddy Heald's first time against the Kings since he was a rookie with the Pelicans so lots of storylines for those guys especially on the Pacers side which made it fascinating you know for Justin Holiday, right he talked after shoot around for the Kings this morning like his kid was born while he was playing for the Pacers you know obviously is a ton of camaraderie in the arena his career kind of took off with the Pacers it was a big day for him Jeremy Lamb obviously same deal he got his biggest deal contract with the Pacers had his biggest role with this team until he tore his ACL like for those two guys this was a pretty big game neither of them particularly shown although I will say just or excuse me Jeremy Lamb played pretty well off the bench for the Kings with 10 points uh five rebounds and three assists shot 50 percent he did very well Justin Holiday. One for six on all his threes. Pacers fans all too familiar with a night like that. And four turnovers, including a play where Buddy Heald just completely knocked him over and drove the three right in his face. That was the only play that stood out as like a moment versus two traded players in the game. So for those two guys, it was just kind of weird to be back. You know, it was their first game against the Pacers in years and years and years. Uh, and, and in Holiday's case, where his family started. So, of course, they, they had a little bit different feelings. We didn't get to talk to them after the game, but I'm sure that their feelings persisted in a similar way. Jeremy Lamb ended up closing this game for the Kings, which is really fascinating to see. Before the game, Carlisle and Justin Holiday were chatting for a long time. They were, they were obviously very close. A lot of smiles going on on both sides, and Carlisle obviously spoke to Lamb as well. Jeremy Lamb 
talked to everybody. I mean, he came right over and sat with the Pacers bench, was talking to assistant coaches for a pretty long time, which is really cool to see. I always love to see, you know, players involved in trades have those situations. On the Pacers side, the guys that you're more familiar with now because they're playing Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton, you know, Buddy Heald, these guys both have kind of different opinions of of what, what their time with the Kings was and now their time with the Pacers. Buddy Heald after the game, was talking about how with the Kings, he 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 did not like his role. He thought he was asked to stand in the corner too much. And with the Patriots, he's able to play more free and drive to the basket a little bit more. And it's not as it's not as calculated, is basically what he's saying. And he clearly, the you know, as I've talked about many times in the show, does not like the Sacramento Kings organization and and how he was used there and how things went there and is very excited to be somewhere else. And, and he clearly took a little bit of, of personal stuff in this game. He was he was disappointed to lose. He talked about that. Uh, after the game, and you know, he did say it's just a basketball game. So did Tyrese. We'll talk about his his feelings as well. Uh, but Buddy said he wasn't really thinking about getting his old team back. Uh, I don't believe that because he clearly had some sort of misgivings. Five for eight from deep, ten for eighteen from the field, led the Pacers in shots as I predicted he would against his old team, and seven assists. You know, three rebounds. He's always trying to prove the Kings wrong. Four steals. He did play pretty well. Twenty five points. Or he'll be a minus one and a one point loss and had four turnovers. And then Book ended the game with dribbles off of his foot. He was uh, obviously uh, less happy with the Kings than Halliburton was and, and wanted to play well against his old team. And he did play pretty well in this game, but he did also have some costly mistakes in this one. And, and I don't know how uh, accurate his, you know, just from the film, his thoughts on his role were, but obviously I don't know what was said to him and what was expected of him. And I don't know you know, what he executed compared to, to what was said and all that kind of stuff. But he clearly enjoys being in Indiana much more than being with the Kings. But he did make the biggest mistake of the game, dribbling the ball off his foot with 14 seconds left as the Pacers were up one. And the Kings would have had to foul. The shot clock was off, but he just coughed it up. He, he couldn't get it across half court. They were looking to foul him. And it, it was very ironic that the game started and ended. First possession, last possession for the Pacers with Buddy Heald dribbling off of his foot. Halliburton, uh, for his for his part, you know, he he had a very interesting game in that he could not hit a shot for his life. You know, he he made it. He wasn't forcing it. Uh, forcing it's the wrong word. That makes it sound like it was out of character. But you know, he wasn't looking to score as much as Buddy Heald was. Uh, he t- still took 14 shots. Only hit four of them though. Was struggling in general. He was definitely looking to pass first, and he was carving up the Kings with his passing. 13 points, 15 assists for Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, and zero turnovers. I believe the Pacers tweeted that was the first game in the NBA this year where a player had 15 assists and zero turnovers in the same game. Halliburton plays 37 and a half minutes, and the Pacers dominate those minutes. They win them by 10 points. So, it, you know, despite his poor off shooting night where he has more shot attempts than points, he still had a strong impact on, on winning basketball. And it was a little less, again, like I predicted yesterday, talking with Matt George from Lockdown Kings. I didn't think he would he would take it as personally. This game is healed wood, obviously, uh, and that kind of showed through throughout the game. He did have a few moves where I was surprised that he went all the way to the rim or made it, made it, put a little more oomph on a pass. Uh, and, and it was obvious, you know, after the game, both of them said healed and Halliburton, It's just basketball. It's just one game, and I and I get that they think that way, and I get why. Especially they're still tight with these guys. Like they all went out to dinner last night. Not all of them, but some went out to dinner last night and. You know, they were talking before the game, but it was obvious by their tones and the, and the words they were using that it was not just a game to them. And even Rick Carlisle said that, you know, he said, Tyree said, buddy, I'm sure where he said, buddy and Ty, I'm sure would have liked to have won this game. So obviously it meant something to them in this one. And Halliburton before the game, he talked to a lot of guys, uh, Kings assistant coaches. He talked to Alvin Gentry for probably 10, 15 minutes right in front of me. He talked to De'Aaron Fox for a long time. They were talking about his broken hand. 
or not broken hand. That that is extremely wrong. They were talking about his injured hand. He was doubtful for this game. So uh, please ignore me saying broken hand. That is incorrect about De'Aaron Fox. But they yeah they chatted for a long time. Like Halliburton's still really close with all his his former Kings teammates. He just got traded and and you know now he has to to pick up all the pieces with the new club and. He didn't shoot the ball particularly well, but he did everything else at an extremely high level. And it's always fun for these games to see how guys play against their former teams, especially in Halliburton's case, like for the first time ever against that team. And for a guy like Justin Holiday, who really established roots here to see how he does. And all that was very fascinating. And and I really enjoyed seeing those guys kind of come out of their shells and and, and do their thing. And and for the Kings, no Sabonis, obviously a huge bummer. Next time the, the Kings and Pacers play, we will see... You know, hopefully it's a bonus play and get the full story on that. But there was a nice tribute video from the Pacers for all three guys combined together, which was really cool. Chemezi Metu took the stand for the Kings after the game. He had a podium game. Chemezi Metu had a podium game against the Pacers. When I talk about the actual game, we'll talk about why. But he had 22 points, a career high for Chemezi Metu, whose name I did not expect to say this many times on the show. He talked about, first of all, Love playing with Domas. Uh, he's a selfless teammate. Great to have him around and and really helping the Kings get better. He also talked about how just in general, Jeremy and, and Justin and Domas are good people. It was good to talk to at least one Kings player about the, the trade and how those guys are doing. And Chemezi Metu had high compliments for all the former Pacers. And on the Pacers side, he said it was kind of weird at first for him to, to see, you know, they line up to play and, oh, look, there's Buddy Hill and, uh, and Tyree Talbert on the other side. He said it was weird, but he had to get over it quickly. And, you know, he's only played for two teams in his career. He played for the Spurs briefly before, again, like a lot of guys taking off with the Kings, a lot of guys recently, I should say, that are involved in this game. And you know, for, he said it was weird at first, but they, they got right into it. You never know night in and night out what kind of stories you're going to get. But it was really fun in this game. To see all these guys, you know, have it personal and, and, and go a little bit and go against their former team. So uh, I can't wait to see Sabonis against the Pacers in the same way I can't wait to see Oladipo against the Pacers and do more stuff like this. And, and Buddy and, and Halliburton both stepped up in their own way in this game. And the Pacers could not get it done. They still lost to the Sacramento Kings. And it's an important loss in the inverse standings, but they definitely would have liked to win. Everybody definitely would have liked to win. So what happened in the actual game besides all the players traded and all the storylines from the game? Let's talk about all that. Before we do that, though, I want to tell you guys about two awesome groups of people. First up, the good folks over at Truebill. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't want or don't need or forgot about. And on average, people who use Truebill save $720 per year because companies make it Subscriptions hard to cancel. Truebill makes it simple. You link your accounts. Truebill cancels your own subscription in one tap. Boom, you're done. They have a concierge to help you cancel those subscriptions for you. And they have over 2 million users that they've helped save over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockdownNBA. Go right now. Truebill.com slash LockdownNBA. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash LockdownNBA. And a new one here, partnering with the Lockdown Podcast Network. Let's talk about NBA Top Shot, the officially licensed NFT of the NBA. You connect with a community of hundreds of thousands of NBA fans as a natural regression of fantasy sports, a way to upgrade your experience as an NBA fan. This is what the future of being an NBA fan looks like. It's part trading cards. It's kind of akin to the stock market for the NBA with millions of dollars worth of NFTs being traded. It's kind of like fantasy sports in that every night you have the ability to capitalize on the market. And it's kind of like an airline loyalty program for the NBA. 
Investors include Michael Jordan and Kevin Durant, not to mention Will Smith. And there are a lot of NBA players in the community like Pacers guard Tyrese Halbert and Cole Anthony and Harrison Barnes. People ask all the time, why would you buy a highlight when you can watch on YouTube? It's not just about watching a highlight. It's about having an ownership stake in what's akin to a stock. And if you were to tell someone in 1916 that your piece of cardboard with Babe Ruth's face on it would be worth millions one day, everybody would think you're crazy. But this is the same kind of deal with this. If you sign up for NBA Top Shot today, the best way to start is by getting yourself a starter pack. You can pull an NFT of a superstar like LeBron or KD, star rookies like Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley for $9. And if you don't pull your favorite player from the starter pack, you can snag moments that appeal to you from the marketplace. Challenges are the best way to earn exclusive moments, NFT rewards, complete challenges. Try Top Shot today. Their moments can get you access to events and can be used in mini games on a regular basis. Let's try NBA Top Shot today. Hey, let's talk about Pacers Kings, the actual game that happened. And not just the storylines that I have been so focused on for this whole week. Pacers lose 110-109. Again, inverse standings say great loss. Uh, emotions of all the Pacers players say bad loss. Uh, and the Pacers 18th lost this season by four points or less, approaching a record how bad they've been in these close games. And obviously they'd like to win. And, and part of Look, part of these late games in seasons, again, obviously I get why losing is good for the team at this point, but part of these late games are about learning and getting better and building habits that will help you next year and continuously losing these close games because you can't defend for crap down the stretch of a game is not building winning habits. And the Pacers absolutely stink down the stretch of these games. That's where I'll start is the end. Pacers up three late in this game. They're up three with 20 seconds left in this game. They should have won this game for sure. They were up even more than that at times earlier in the fourth quarter. They just completely fell apart. They, they, they gave it away. The Kings were actually at five at some points in the fourth, but the Pacers were up you know, more than three at times in, this, in the quarter. And then still they had a shot to win it. 108, 109-106, 108 to go after Terry Taylor hit two free throws. The Tyrese Halberton misses a finger roll. They still stop the Kings. Somehow Davion Mitchell, though, after an offensive rebound scores and then Buddy Heel dribbles it off his foot. The Pacers are still winning at this stage of the game. They sub O'Shea Brissett in. Trey Lyles misses a three. Doesn't matter. Damian Jones gets the rebound, puts it up, tips it in. And that's the game. And it's just how the Pacers season has gone. They get to these moments where they need to win. They need one stop to win the game. They're up three points with a minute to go. In fact, they had the ball with even less time than that. Tyrese Halberton shot the ball with 37 seconds left. The Pacers had the ball up three. And then... They still have the ball with the lead with 18 seconds to go. Shot clock off. They can't get a stop for the rest of the game. Their defense always crumbles in these situations. And obviously the turnover from Buddy Heald was really bad. Halbert missing a layup down the stretch was pretty bad. It was a very heavily contested layup. But they just cannot close these games. It's been emblematic of their entire season. A lot happened in this game that killed the Pacers. But really it was that the, the, the biggest takeaway to me was their interior defense was really struggling especially on the post. They gave up 54 points in the paint to the Kings in this game. And Damian Jones played over 30 minutes and scored 12 points on five of six shooting. He had six rebounds. Like I mentioned last segment, Chemezi met to eight for 11, a career high 22 points. He tied his career high in the first 15 minutes of the game. So those two centers who played a lot for the Kings combined for 13 for 17 shooting at an Alex Len going two for four, 15 for 21 from guys who kind of battle on the interior for the, for the Kings. They just dominated the Pacers inside. Goga starts at center because Isaiah Jackson is still recovering from a concussion in this game. And Goga played very well on offense, 9 of 12 from the field, only missed one two-point shot, 9 rebounds, 20 points in his 29 and a half minutes. 
But Isaiah Jackson, who comes off the bench, ends up getting a headache in the middle of the game. And after a concussion, you never want to mess with that. They pull him. Um, you know, he he didn't play very much. And then they tried Terry Taylor at center. And Gogo was just a little slow-footed, staying in front of those guys. So they, they could not contain the King centers. That, that absolutely killed the Pacers in this game. And again, they, they're happy to... In the end, they might be happy to lose, but the Pacers need to be better at these things to build these habits going into next year. And if they can't beat the Kings without De'Aaron Fox or DeMontis Sabonis, what kind of habits are they building? So on the Pacers' side in general, I just talked about Goga being good. Buddy Heald was really solid. Halliburton, despite his shot not falling, was still a positive in this game. It, outside of those guys, nobody really – Terry Taylor was pretty good, but nobody really met the call of, what was expected of them? Like Lance Stevenson shot 50%, but his defense was all over the place. Dwayne Washington had an off night, one for five from deep, four for 10 from the field, minus 13 in his minutes. They got smoked. Isaiah Jackson obviously got hurt. Justin Anderson, two for eight from the field in his second consecutive start with Malcolm Brogdon out. Five points, five rebounds, four assists. All sounds good. But he had two really quick fouls and was missing all over the place. And O'Shea Brissett continues his inconsistent run since the break, had two really good games over the weekend and had 10 points and 10 rebounds, a double double for the Pacers in this game, but still shot very poorly and had foul trouble in this one as well. So a lot of guys on the Pacers just really could not keep up with the Kings and keep up with the calling required of them offensively, which was very strange. You know, the Pacers have been pretty good about not having a problem with that. And the 34 assists on 42 made buckets, like their offense was kind of humming, but they couldn't generate the right looks. They weren't getting all the way to the rim. They weren't getting to the rim very much at all. Only 11 free throw attempts for the Pacers in this entire game. That's really killer. The Kings made more free throws than that easily so the the offensive side of the ball was kind of a struggle for the Pacers to generate the right shots they even shot well from three but in general just kind of an off uneven performance from the team and I think that that emotions play a little bit of a factor there because you know again I don't think Buddy Heald or Tyrese Halliburton was like going out of their way to play differently in this game or like shove it to the Kings or anything like that but it was clear a a few times where they did something a tiny bit abnormal or a tiny bit just like oomphy and, and that, that kind of stuff breaks the rhythm of your team. And it's not to say they did something wrong or that take that that's trying to play well against your former team is wrong or anything like that. In fact, I encourage it that that, that that part of the sports is what people love. And they both played very well. Neither of them are the reason to me that the Pacers ended up not winning this game, although Buddy Heald did have the turnover. Right at the end, he even said himself, you know, I had the play that lost us the game. But neither of them played poorly. That just there's a little bit of arrhythmic stuff going on from the Pacers in this game. And that also is a factor of, you know, your two starting forwards shooting a combined five for 17. Uh, O'Shea Brissett and Justin Anderson have to be a little bit better, especially from beyond the arc. And then defensively, you know, they, they struggle defending those two guys on the inside, but you know, no De'Aaron Fox, the Kings start Davion Mitchell at point guard. He goes 10 for 15 from the field was driving by absolutely every pacer with little resistance for his 25 points. Jeremy Lamb was getting in on his drives pretty easily. He had 10 points. Dante DiVincenzo had 11 points getting into the teeth of the defense. He had eight assists to DiVincenzo was doing a very good job beating Pacers off the dribble. So a lot of the Pacers' problems in this game, to me, and part of the reason they lost was their defense was killer. And giving it 54 points in the paint to this version of the Kings with no Fox, no Sabonis is pretty bad. Uh, Giving up 48 bench points to that Kings group is pretty bad. Losing the turnover battle is pretty bad. Losing the points off of turnover battle is pretty bad. Just a lot of stuff went wrong for the Pacers in this game. And they the the key stretch to me that where this one turned was the early second quarter. Pacers actually had a very nice first and were up. But there was a, the Kings got their lead to 11 right at the beginning of the second quarter because they were hitting a bunch of threes. And so the Pacers were able to recover and get their own double-digit lead. But if they hadn't come out at the start of the second just completely limping uh, and being a little off 
they would have easily won this game. In fact, they were ahead so much. Like they, there's a game chart on NBA.com. It's a lead tracker, and and you know, it, whatever team is ahead, the bar chart goes up for that. Like the, when the Kings are ahead, it's purple, and when the Pacers are ahead, it goes bar chart goes down and it's yellow. And even at the end of the game, the bar chart is positive towards the yellow because the Pacers were winning so much at the end, but blew it. But the, the, the game chart shows that the only stretch where the Kings really expanded their lead was was early in the second and late in the first quarter where they hit a bunch of threes. And yet the wobbly Pacers still gave this game away at the end because they just had they were a little off rhythm. They didn't look like the Pacers that they normally do. And their defense was struggling to stop guys that quite frankly shouldn't be that hard to stop. So it, it, it a lot of similar problems for the Pacers this year where their defense is is off and their their offensive rhythm isn't perfect and they're imperfect and running some some sets that go well for them. And so they had guys who played good games. Like, again, Terry Taylor was excellent. Buddy Heald scored very well. Tyrese Halberton, again, 15 assists, zero turnover game. Like, if they win this game by one, that's the headline. Tyrese Halberton smokes his old team. Gogo was good. They just they didn't get enough from from their their forwards and their role guys, and the, their, their depleted big man rotation didn't allow them. I think that's really where this game got away is their depleted center rotation really killed them and didn't give them enough flexibility on the inside. And they turned to Terry Taylor a lot for good reason. He did a good job, but his height does not work necessarily well when, you know, they're getting broken down on the perimeter a lot. And uh, when Damian Jones and, and Shemez Yimetsu are having the games that they're having. So Pacers should have beat the Kings. They're a better team than the Kings. They even It's funny to hear this. Like Buddy Heald said after the game, like, we're better than them. Like if we played them again, I'd expect us to, to win a lot. And they just lost. So it sounds weird to hear him say that, but he's right. Like they're a better team than the Kings, but they lost this game. And Perhaps, you know, it's one, it's a regular season game against the Kings from two teams that are essentially eliminated from playoff contention. And at the end of the season, no one's going to look back and go, wow, I can't believe the Pacers lost that game. In fact, no one will even remember this game in a while. So perhaps it's better for the, in fact, look, holistically zoomed out, it's better for the Pacers that they lost this game. They're now back in sole possession of fifth in the inverse standings. Uh, The Spurs win two in a row now, so they're up to 29 wins, like, it's looking likely that the Pacers are going to finish five, six, or seven in the inverse standings, and helping the Kings get another win is always really helpful uh, in that battle. So they're firmly fifth now. We'll get to standings watch again next Monday. But this was of the Pacers' rest of their season. This was definitely the most important game for them to lose if they were wanting to lose to to boost those lot of wads, and and they lost it. And their most important win is coming up Saturday against Toronto. If they can beat the Raptors and help out the Cavs on their quest to making the playoffs, uh, that that would be – if they're going to win one more game, if they if they know they can only win one more game, the Saturday should be the one they try to win. And if they know they can only lose one more game, today's game should be the one that they would have tried to lose. So I, I suppose in that way, mission accomplished, but they did not play well. They had a lot of stuff that looked off and not, not like – a solid team that's building winning habits, despite having some players step up and, and play good games. And Goga's good play continues to be uh, something that I think is noteworthy and, and deserves a full segment. I'll probably do one after the Grizzlies game tomorrow. Uh, but they do play the Grizzlies tomorrow. They do play another game, and basketball is happening. And I want to talk about something I just wrote about, and that is the Pacers' drive, something that has been really interesting to track for me because it seems like they drive a lot, but ineffectively. And I wanted to dig into the numbers and see what was going on there. So let's talk about the Pacers' drives and the way they play offense in general. Before we do that, though, I want to talk about the good folks over at betonline.ag. It's that time of year again. College basketball's big tournament is finally upon us. And for all the latest odds, the latest contests, and player props, betonline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, all your sports podcasts, and sports news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including 
live betting, and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head over to their website today or use your mobile device to sign up and learn more about the trends in the action at BetOnline. BetOnline.net, where the game starts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Of course, go check out Matt George at Locked On Kings to get their perspective on this win. I'm sure he'll be doing backflips seeing Davion Mitchell fill up the stat sheet and do a good job defending Tyrese Halliburton in this game. Let's talk about drives and the Pacers offense in general. And I always like finding cool statistical nuggets and sharing them with you. For any of you who've seen VeggieTales and have heard Silly Songs with Larry, the, the little bit segment they do on VeggieTales, Silly Stats with Tony or Stats with Tony should be the Locked On Pacers version of that. So when you dig through the Pacers stats, uh, so so let's back up. The reason I, I, was, I was already going to write about this, but something that made me really perk up about it is before the Pacers played the Grizzlies, Rick Carlisle was talking about the Grizzlies because I asked him about them. And he's like, they are the best, one of the best teams at just uh, attacking the basket. You know, that's what makes them so good. And the P- Grizzlies don't shoot a ton of threes. They shoot a ton off of their drives. And then Taylor Jenkins, the Grizzlies coach, just down the hallway was like, hey, yeah, we, we got to drive at these guys all game. They're going to switch. We got to attack the basket and score. And they both emphasized how crucial it was to drive to the basket. And so that made me think, oh, okay. Uh, the Grizzlies, must, you know, I knew the Grizzlies drive a lot. I watched them play, and I know the stats. But I was like, oh, I bet the Grizzlies are one of the top team in drives in the league. And if you sort by total drives per game, the Pacers drive more than the Grizzlies per game. They drive 51.4 times, and the Grizzlies drive 47 times per game. So this already, I was thinking, huh, these stats are interesting. I want to know more about this. I want to do more stuff about the Pacers drives and think about it. And the Pacers drive a lot, and that's good. And I think that's a good strategy. They do a lot of pick and rolls. They do a lot of guys dribbling towards the basket. And their last two coaches, Nate Bjorkman and Rick Carlisle, have both been really into paint touches and how they can impact your offense, right? They can get you a bucket at the rim. They can get you the kickout three-pointer. They just get you good looks because the defense is now moving around and they were a top 10 or excuse me, top 14 offensive team last year. Currently, they're exactly 15th, right? Right in the middle, league average offense. So, so despite personnel that is not necessarily elite at anything offensively, Rick Carlisle and Nate Bjorkman have made the, made the Pacers a pretty credible and good offensive team in the last two seasons. And obviously, average is not a good offensive team, but it's good enough given the guys available and their their focal points were correct to me. So, why are the Grizzlies so much better at driving than the Pacers? What do the Pacers need to be better at with their drives? What What is the difference here? Because that's what stood out to me. No one thinks the Pacers are as good at driving as the Grizzlies. So, if you sort by field goal attempts per game off of drives... Remember, the Pacers drive more than the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies shoot 26 times per game off of drives. And the Pacers shoot 21.8 times. So that is one big difference where the Pacers, I think, need to get a little bit better when they drive. Not the volume necessarily, although the volume, we'll talk about that in a minute. When the Pacers drive, they need to be looking to shoot and getting all the way to the rim and getting those shots more often. The Grizzlies obviously have an immaculately high percentage of shot attempts off of drives. The Pacers percentage of times they shoot off of drives is 21st in the league and that is where i think they fall really short they have good finishers halberton's a good finisher but he has been a good finisher brissett's been a good finisher lance has been a good finisher 
right? They have good finishers off of drives. They just don't shoot that much. They try to pass a lot. You know, they're one of, I think, seven teams in the league that has a pass percentage near or above their field goal attempt percentage off of drives. And passing is not bad necessarily, but if you look at the top teams in terms of passing out of drives in the NBA, the Thunder is first, the Hornets are second, the Pacers are third, the Spurs are fourth, the Kings are sixth, the Pistons are eighth, the Lakers are ninth. That does not seem like passing is necessarily the way to go. Not not to belittle those teams. You know, the Hornets are pretty good. The Spurs always have a nice, well-oiled machine. The Jazz are in the top 10, right? The Cavs are in the top 10, and the Mavs are in the top 10. Those teams are good. But there's a lot more teams that aren't necessarily amazing that are high on the passing list than are. Meanwhile, here's the bottom of the passes off of drives list per game in the NBA this year. Denver, playoff team. Philly, playoff team. Memphis Grizzlies, playoff team. Minnesota, playoff team. Brooklyn Nets, not necessarily technically a playoff team, but also a playoff team. Bulls are in the bottom 10. Suns are in the bottom 10. Warriors are in the bottom 10. It sure seems like the Pacers pass too much out of drives. The Pacers need to shoot more out of drives and something they do a lot. And Brogdon was really a big, a big problem with this, and so was Karis Silvert. Those guys drive a lot and then do nothing. They just reset. They, they, they take it right back out. And that means the drive was not effective. So they need to be better at drives, one. And that, that doesn't just limit to, to Brogdon and Levert. Other guys do that, but they, they do it more. So the Pacers need to be better at driving to not have that. But they also, I think, need to just shoot more off of their drives and look to pass a little less. Passing is good. You get open threes from it. And the Pacers, shooting pers- and the Pacers assists off of those are, are really high. They're sixth in the league in assists off of drives. That's good. Like They're doing a good job with the passes they make and the decisions they make in these situations. But I think they should shoot a little bit more. So that is stats number one of the drive thing. Now, the other part of, of Pacers drive numbers that I dug into, I went back to every single game they played and, and, and put, got their drives from the tracking data and threw it into a spreadsheet. When the Pacers drive less than 50 times in a game this season, which has happened uh, 27 times, they are sick. They have six wins. Uh, excuse me, that is 26 times. And they, no, it was 27. It's 27 times, and they have six wins. They're 6-21 and 21 when they drive less than 50 times. That seems like a pretty clear cut, like, hey, you should probably drive to the basket more. Like, they're not a 6-21 and 21 team. They're better than that. When they drive between 50 and 60 times, right, not, not up to 60, and, and when you get to the higher numbers, there's some overtime games in here that make it a little harder. They are over 500. They're exactly 500. Between, in those games... In the, in the 34 games where they drive between 50 and 60 times, they're basically exactly 500, right? That is the sweet spot for them. Not, not over kicking it out, not underdoing the drives. That is the sweet spot is when they, when they drive between 50 and 60 times in a game. 34 times they've done that, and fi- they have 15 wins, 15 and 19 in those instances. When they drive 60 or more times, which has happened, I believe, 10 times. 10 times. I, sorry, my pivot table messed up with this. They're four and six. So even four and six is better than their six and 21 in their sub 50 drive games. So driving more is better for the Pacers, and the quality of their drives are off. They need to be shooting a little more. So the investigation into the drives of the Pacers was number one, improve what you do when you get into the paint a little bit. They are definitely a more passive finishing team. They take a lot of middies. They don't get all the way to the rim. That made Levert a lot better this season. I talked about that on, on multiple multiple Lockdown Pacers shows this year. Karis Levert's effectiveness got better when he started driving all the way to the rim. And that would definitely behoove Halliburton. And that would definitely behoove Buddy Heald, who takes a lot of floaters. And floaters are good if you can make them. A lot of Pacers guards can. But Lance is really good about that. Lance Stevenson gets all the way to the rim. And that makes him a very effective driver. And number two, make sure to focus on drives the whole game. 
They have the games they don't drive as much, they look way, 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 way worse. The lowest drives they had in a win all season was when they beat Utah and shot a million percent and Lance had a bajillion points in the first quarter, right? It is very rare that they win with low drives. In fact, their wins with low drives are Utah in that game and then Washington, who stinks, Portland, who stinks, San Antonio, who stinks, right? They just, driving more is crucial for this team. They have to be better at it and they have to be better at their quality of drives too. And that is why... I have a lot of stats, and I wanted to share them and talk about the Pacers drives and how their offense can be better. And you can read all about that in Forbes Sports. Article's already up. Got quotes from Carlisle, Taylor Jenkins, and Buddy Heald on the piece. I really enjoyed it and thought it would be a great podcast segment, so I wanted to share it with you guys. Tomorrow, Pacers-Grizzlies. Of course, we're going to be talking all about that game. Uh, Hopefully, the Pacers, uh, for perspective of their growth this season, will do better than their 33-point loss they had to Memphis just last week. Memphis just won on ESPN. So we'll see how they look in this game. Of course, we're breaking down that game, what happened, what trends there are, some other general topics is the Pacers have less than 10 games left in this completely sunken season. And, of course, we'll cover it all here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed this today's show featuring a ton of good info from inside Gamebridge Fieldhouse during the revenge game for so many of these guys and featuring a lot of fun numbers and, and stuff from the game. Of course, tomorrow we're talking Grizzlies. Hope everybody had a great day, and we will see you then. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.